Man, this is uh, the wrap-up for this series, Mission Critical. Again, looking at the things that are absolutely essential for us to do to accomplish the work that God has called us to. And so this mission statement, which we've rolled out during this series, really reflects where this church has come from. In the very beginning, established as a church filled with people who were going to reach their neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we continue to carry that mission forward. Uh, the church looks a little different today. There's some different people in it. Uh, and, and yet God continues to uh, call us to pursue that same mission where we recognize who we are called by Jesus to be. You know, there was a church that um, on the uh, inside of the worship center, uh, above the exit, as the church would leave, there was a sign that said this. You are now entering your mission field. We believe that to be true. We continue to believe that to be true. And part of the reason we believe that that's true is because when we look in the scriptures, we see the call of Jesus upon our lives as members of his church to be sharing the message of the gospel to the world around us. And so as we leave church each and every week, we recognize that we're entering the mission field. And that's really what this last sermon is all about. As we wrap up this series, we recognize we're a group of people, right? We're part of a church that's on mission to raise up disciple makers. So we're growing to become disciple makers that are people who can disciple someone else, right? And we share the gospel. So as we go into the world, we're ready to give an, uh, an answer uh, for the reason that we have, the hope that we have. And we do that where we live, work, and play. And that represents our mission field. So today, I kind of want to answer that question, why should we go into the mission field? Why should we see it this way? Why should we uh, commit to this kind of mission? And I think part of the reason is, as we look in the scriptures, again, we see the call of Jesus to this type of life. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 1 today. We'll also have the verses up on the screen. But in Acts chapter 1, we see the final interaction that Jesus has with his disciples, his apostles, those men that he called to follow him, and the ones who were faithful to pursue him, his final interaction with them. And, and in this interaction, we're going to see the first reason that we sign up for this mission. The reason that we go into the mission field, the reason that when we leave church, we know that God wants to use us to help others. And that is, reason number one, is because we understand the way God is working now. We understand as a church, we understand as followers of Jesus, the way that God is working right now. Follow along as I read verses six and seven of Acts chapter one. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Uh, when I read this story, I think of times when I was, uh, my kids were younger and we were going on a trip and they had questions for me, you know, like, Hey, Dad, are we almost there? Or, hey, Dad, are we going to can we stop and get something to eat? You know, those kind of questions. I kind of hear that in the apostles, this group of men. Hey, Jesus, is it time yet? You know, can, are you going to set up the kingdom again? Or are we going to make things right? See, they uh, had read the Old Testament, these Jewish men, and they read about the Messiah. 
they believed that the Messiah was going to set up an earthly kingdom, that he was going to come to restore Israel to its rightful position in the world. The people of God with the kingdom that comes from God, originates in God. And they knew that Rome was now in power. This evil, godless, pagan empire was ruling the world. And Israel was subject to this rule. And they knew that wasn't right. And so they, Jesus, we've seen your ministry. You did amazing things. I mean, you healed people. You, you, know, you, you forgave people's sins. You did amazing work. And then uh, you died and we were scared that it was all done. But of course, and you came back and now you're here with us again. So surely now is the time when you're going to establish our kingdom again. They read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 that says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Even though they'd walked with Jesus and they'd listened to Jesus, they kind of missed some of what Jesus was saying, what he was all about. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll see the the message that Jesus brings of the kingdom of heaven. He talks about how the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He invites people to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. He tells them what's going to be required for them to be participants in the kingdom of heaven. When he was on trial and the Jewish leaders had arrested him and taken him to Pilate, the Roman ruler of the region, who alone had the ability, the authority to pronounce judgment of execution over Jesus. Pilate was questioning Jesus as to who he was, what he was here to do, his identity as a leader and ruler. And in John 18, verse 36, Jesus answers Pilate to his questioning, said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. The apostles missed that in Jesus' message. They wouldn't really understand it until later on. That Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom, though it manifests itself in the lives of people. But he came to establish a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. And the way in which that kingdom would be populated was not going to be by force. If Jesus would have reestablished the nation of Israel... By force as the kingdom of heaven, right? And if he had overthrown Rome and led an uprising to overflow, overthrow the Roman Empire, then would the mission of Jesus have been accomplished? Would the kingdom of heaven have been populated the way God intended? And the answer is no. And so Jesus redirects the disciples or the apostles in his response. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. In other words, hey guys, appreciate your passion and what you're interested in here, um, but you're focused on the wrong thing. You know, uh, I can get in the same mindset that the apostles are in. I can start to think to myself, God, 
would you make things right in this country? Would you establish a government that follows you and honors you? Would you put people in positions of authority that will actually listen to you and lead this country in accordance with your will? I don't know about you, but I can think that sometimes. And I certainly have the ability to participate in elections, right? we got one coming up next week. It's a big one. So yeah, we can participate in that process. But I can get myself thinking at times that that's the answer. And just like the apostles, Jesus says to me, and hopefully uh, he's saying to you, hey guys, that's, that's not the plan. That's not how the world's going to change. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. What the apostles wanted here was a good thing. Jesus said it'll come someday. But right now the plan is different. It is through the work of us, Jesus' followers, that the kingdom of heaven gets po- uh, populated. God's plan to reach the world and to fill the kingdom of heaven happens in a different way. And the apostles need to recognize, just like we do, what that plan is. We go into the mission field as we leave church each week because we recognize how God is working today. And the way in which God's working is that the kingdom of heaven gets filled here on earth. Acts 1 verse 8 is probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Follow along as I read it. Jesus redirects the apostles and says these words to them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says a physical kingdom is not what I came here to do. I came to establish a spiritual kingdom and here's how it's gonna get filled. That kingdom is gonna get filled by you guys. He's like, you're gonna be filled with power, with spiritual power. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and you're gonna be empowered to be witnesses for me around the world. And so um, this message of empowerment is is a message that's relevant for us today. We are called in the same way that they were to be witnesses to who Jesus is, to how the world is being changed and how people's lives can be transformed. The way in which that happens is the same process. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Paul writes these words to the church in Ephesus. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. You and I have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. When we trust in Christ, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And then we are taught in the Scriptures to be filled with the Spirit or to energize the Spirit's presence in our lives. How do we do that? We do that through getting in God's Word, spending time reading the Scriptures each and every day, pouring through the message about Christ and the message from Christ to us. We uh, energize the spirit within us through prayer, talking to God as we go throughout our day, staying focused on him. We are energized, uh, the spirit within us, when we are obedient to God. When we turn away from sin, we repent and we move towards obedience to him. And we stay energized with the spirit when we engage this mission that God has called us to. 2 Timothy 1.7 Again, says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
We live our lives for Christ. We are transformed and changed. We're empowered to be witnesses beyond just our own ability. There's something supernatural that God will do through you and in you as you live your life for him. People will see something different in you. They won't be able to identify always what it is, but they will recognize that you live your life differently. You live according to a different pattern and for a different purpose. And that becomes one of the most powerful witnesses that we can have. And you say, yeah, but pastor, um, I have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. There are issues that I struggle with and battle with that inhibit my ability to be a witness and be a testimony at times. Well, the good news is that some of the New Testament writers had the same issue. They also had weaknesses. In fact, the Apostle Paul, one of the most prolific followers of Jesus and disciple makers that we know of, had weakness, had physical issues that he struggled with. He said there was a physical issue. He called it a thorn in the flesh. It was a tormentor from Satan that weakened him. It constantly was a struggle for him. Some think that perhaps it was his eyesight which he struggled with that was this thorn in the flesh. But regardless, he says this about it in 2 Corinthians 12. He says three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Do you know that when you're following Jesus, when you're living your life for him, your life will gain spiritual power so much so that in your areas of weakness, God will work through you because of your dependency on him to produce an amazing witness for him. In Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, there's so much there. Again, we're taught about how when we follow Christ, when we turn from our old way of living to follow him, that our lives gain this power. In uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, Reads this way, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Jesus encourages his apostles that they are going to be the means through which the spiritual kingdom is populated. That message is the same for you and I today. We are the way in which others are going to find their way into the kingdom of heaven. To be under 
the righteous rule of Jesus the King. You and I are the way in which this is going to happen. And so Jesus says to them, you're going to be empowered, first of all. You'll be able to do this mission because God is going to be in work within you. Secondly, you're going to be witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So you're just going to testify to who I am and what I've done. As you live your life, you're going to represent me. And this alone is going to be a powerful testimony. And God's going to use it to convince others and to reveal himself to others through you. And then he calls out the mission field, the arenas in which they are going to represent him. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think it's fair, though these are physical locations in the New Testament time period when Jesus was speaking to his apostles. Jerusalem was the city, the epicenter of God's activity. It's where everything began. It's where the day of Pentecost occurred, where these 120 followers of Jesus in the upper room, where the Holy Spirit came upon them, right? And they began to preach and people were converted, thousands converted to Christ. So um, Jerusalem was the epicenter and then uh, Judea was the uh, the kind of the, the area or the, the region in which they lived. Israel at that time was divided into three regions. There was Galilee in the north, there was Samaria in the middle, and there was Judea in the south. And so that region that they were in, he said, you're going to be witnesses for me in that region. And then Samaria, which was to the north, was filled with Samaritans, which were half Jewish and half Gentile, right? And so you're going to reach out to a different culture that's within close proximity to you and then to the ends of the earth. I think it's fair for us to look at those same areas and find their equivalency for us today. And so Jerusalem, which is where most of us will, uh, the mission field most of us will work in, is the area in which we live. Out in the back on the wall, we have a map of our valley, uh, the area in which people come to our church. It represents our Jerusalem. And church leaders have helped us kind of uh, look at our mission field, our Jerusalem, in three different areas, and we have it up on our, in our mission statement. And so when we look at our Jerusalem, we think about it in the areas where we live, work, and play, because those are areas in which we're already involved. Jesus is calling us to live on mission for him and to influence the world around us through the relationships and the areas that we're already invested. Where we live, that's our neighborhood, That's the place that we call home. We all have a neighborhood we live in. I haven't been there too often. Every once in a while, I go uh, even venture into Sioux County. And I know there's even people that live in Sioux County have neighbors. They're kind of spread out pretty far, but they still have neighbors. We have some folks in our church that live up there. Seems like maybe a different country, but it's not. It's close. Listen, uh, some of us uh, live in different kinds of neighborhoods. Some of us have uh, live in campers and, and travel. We have folks that go to our church that travel around the country, especially in the winter. And so their, their mission field in terms of their Jerusalem, it might change. We have people that live in apartments, in rentals, in houses, and on acreages, farms and ranches. All of us have neighbors, and that's one of the areas that, that represents our Jerusalem, where we're to be witnesses for Jesus. Then there's where we work, the area where we're employed and we we gain income for a family. For some of us, uh, we're students. For students, school is your workplace. We have folks involved in agriculture, some work office jobs, some people involved in education, in the medical profession, in sales and management. 
We have truck drivers in our church. We have small business owners, food service folks, people involved in government, in, in, legal, uh, in the legal world, in architecture, in construction, in the trades, in retail, could go on and on. Those places where we work. For many of us, we spend more time with the people we work with than we do with our family. And yet that also represents an arena that would be our Jerusalem where we can influence and witness for Christ. And then there's the places that we play where we have fun. In America, we take our play pretty seriously, as you know. Uh, Sometimes our play looks more like work. We have people that enjoy going to new restaurants, trying out new food. We have people that like going to coffee shops and consuming caffeinated beverages. We have people that like to go hunting, folks involved in motorsports, camping, gaming, in sports in general, though some of you have jobs in sports. Some of you like to go to the lake, maybe for fishing or, um, or to go water skiing. How about rodeo? How about hiking, running, climbing, biking, fitness? Listen, the places that you're at where you have fun are also filled with people that you interact with. Jesus is calling us to be witnesses for him in the places we live, work, and play in the natural flow of our lives. Hope that's encouraging to you because he goes on to call out other arenas. Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Judea is like our region. And we have had folks come out of this church who were called into mission work to serve as missionaries in our region. We have um, the Girards who are in, uh, in uh, Chat No. Chatfield. Yeah, I said it right. Sorry. Oh, Shadron. Why am I saying Chatfield? Don't know. Um... Okay, they're there working with uh, college students. We have the Huser and Spearfish working with college students. We have mentoring Timothy up near Missoula, Montana. We have people that we support in our region. And then Samaria, a different culture but close in proximity. And we have um, uh, Pastor Luke who's putting together an outreach for, uh, in, uh, on East Oberlin and it could kind of represent that. We have a group that work up at the college with college students. We are reaching our Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth, we continue to work and respond to God's calling to see missionaries raised up from our church to go to the ends of the earth. And of course, Travis and Nikki Ray are examples of that. We also have short-term missions trips. We're planning one next year to Switzerland, which allows us to go to the ends of the earth. We're called into the mission field. And the mission field, of course, starts right outside our door. Remember that we're called to be witnesses here. Jesus says to the apostles, you're going to be witnesses for me. And I think 1 Peter 3.15 explains the best way, in the simplest way to understand what it means to be a witness. He says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Follow Jesus, live for him, your life will be different And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You and I are called to be witnesses for Jesus where we live, work, and play. Some of us will be called to go to our Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But this is the mission of God. This is how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, continues to get filled up. And we are still here on that same mission God's plan has not changed from the time Jesus turned these apostles loose. 
You're around people every day that don't know Jesus. You're around people that haven't yet found the hope in him, that have issues and struggles and questions that you get into conversations with. Listen, you're not in those conversations by accident. You're not just supposed to give a, oh yeah, um, hope things work out for you. You know, I'm sorry you're struggling. You know, buck up, little camper. That's not why we're in those conversations. It's not why we're in those people's lives. We're there to bring Jesus into that environment. In fact, He's already with us. He goes with us into the environment. And part of the reason that we must go into the mission field is so we keep looking out and don't get stuck looking up. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Jesus finishes his interaction with his disciples. And after saying this, he was taken up in a, into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Just like these apostles, there's times that we can get to staring into heaven, hoping that Jesus will come back soon because things are so difficult. The world around us seems like it's getting darker, more difficult, more pressure, right? And yet we have a mission that we're to stay focused on while we're here. Remember that Second Peter reminds us, the Apostle Peter reminds us in Second Peter of the reason for the delay of Christ's return. And it is so that more people can be saved. The kingdom of heaven is not big enough yet. Do you know that? The kingdom of heaven is not big enough yet. That's why Jesus is delayed in his return. That's why the Father has not sent him back yet. Because there's more people that need to get into the kingdom of heaven. Need to put their trust in Jesus. And you and I are the representatives that will help them get there. We're not perfect. In fact, being perfect would probably be uh, not to our advantage. People kind of discount people that seem too perfect, all right? So there's hope for me and there's hope for you. We can still be a part of this mission. And yet we are representative. So there needs to be a sincerity that they see in our lives. A desire to do the right thing. To follow Jesus. To live for him. Living like the pagan world around us will not get it done. There's got to be a change and transformation in us. And yet the reality is as Jesus taught in Luke 16 when he taught about the rich man and Lazarus that there is a place of torment that people will wind up for all eternity if they do not put their trust in Jesus. And so there's an urgency to the mission. So my call to us is that we would remain focused. We'd remember why we're in this world. It isn't just to build a life, to build a family, to enjoy the things that are here, to amass stuff. It's not the only reason we're here. We're here to represent Jesus, to be testimonies to what he has done what he continues to do in the world. God has changed your life. He has set you free from some things. Hopefully, he is changing your life right now, today. There is a process that you're a part of. And simply sharing some of that with the people you interact with, where you live, work, and play, 
is going to encourage somebody else that there's hope for them too. I know there's a lot of people that seem like they don't care. They seem resistant if you try to have a conversation about spiritual things. But can I assure you that they're watching and listening? And if you're willing to take the risk to share with them some of what you've found, you'll find that those things stick with them. They'll remember them. They'll contemplate them. And through the work of God, as he draws people to himself, some of them will come to trust in Jesus. And you might even get to be a part of that. But it begins with us recognizing that God's called us to a mission field. And no matter what people seem like as we interact with them, when we take the time to be aware of their needs and the, the, the issues that people are struggling with, and you probably know at least one person that's struggling. Maybe you know 100 people that are struggling. Seems like everybody's struggling right now, right? But when you show a concern, when you're aware, when you're aware of the spiritual condition of the people around you, when you spend a little bit of time, maybe right after you have a conversation with them or when you drive past their house or when you walk past them, you just spend a little, just a moment praying for them. God, would you interject yourself into their life? Would you use me to help them discover who you are? When you're willing to share your life with them, to take that risk, to take a little bit extra time, to share with them what God has done and what he's doing. When we're willing to ask as a result of some conversations, where do you stand with Jesus? What do you think about him? And we're willing to share the gospel, then we'll see people whose lives will be changed and transformed. It doesn't typically happen quickly. It's usually a process over a period of time. But I want to call us as a church not to just get caught looking up, but to keep our focus looking out to the people that we rub shoulders with every day that God has placed us in their life. You and I are witnesses to who Jesus is and what he's done. And my call and my prayer is that we would stay on that mission. We'd stay focused on that call. We live in a world that so desperately needs to see people who are living for God, need to see those examples, and they need to have those people sharing their life with them. That is what we're called to do. My prayer is that we will continue to move in that direction as a church, living on mission, raising up disciple makers who share the gospel where we live, work, and play. Next week for our fall campaign, or for Celebration Sunday at the Weeborg 21 Center, obviously we'll have uh, some food, and so make sure you bring some food with you to share, and we'll hear some testimonies and stories of people who are doing this in our church. We have a lot of people in our church. Many of you are already living this way. And then we will um, have some folks that are going to get baptized, and that's always encouraging. So make sure you're with us and join with us. We gather together to celebrate what God has done, what he is doing where he's leading us into the future. God, we are so thankful for your call on our lives and the way in which you've entrusted this mission to us. And as a church, we want to step up. We want to, uh, as we leave and walk out these doors each week, we want to recognize we're entering a mission field you've called us to, to be witnesses for you. And Father, we pray that you'd use us 
in the lives of the people around us, to testify to who you are, to encourage people that there is hope, there is a forgiveness, there is redemption, there's a way forward into life that's not filled with guilt and destruction and condemnation. God, would you help us to witness and to be testimonies to your grace, to share that love and grace with the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.